0: Bermchester along with Sam Bruno and our special guest on this edition of the Seaco Sports Forum, Roger Brown from the union leader and New Hampshire football report.com. Well, the football season for schoolboy sake is, is over and done with the division one championship was decided this past Saturday. Um, And then we have had a big game at UNH and, and hopefully more to come from the Wildcats, but let's start with the schoolboy side. You two gentlemen were at that game londonderry the number one seed looked like they were going to just roll into their third straight victory uh, championship and uh bedford the number 10 seed going into the tourney had something to say about it sam you you were the pa give us some thoughts about it and then roger you kick right in
1: well it was a great day at uh william ball stadium a uh, big crowd enthusiastic crowd from both sides the bedford fans the londonderry fans um Certainly Exeter High, the best site to host that championship game. If you're going to do it at a local high school site, there's no better place than Bill Ball Stadium. And all the crew there did a great job in uh, hosting the teams and uh, entertaining the fans and the concession people. Uh, Everybody did a nice job uh, over there. So uh, certainly it was a good venue for it. And the game lived up to the billing. Certainly uh, Londonderry, uh, the team who were the favorites, And boy, uh, Roger, is there a better story than Bedford High School coming out of the 10th spot and winning all four games on the road to win the championship?
2: First team in NHI history to win four playoff games in one season. And obviously the first 10th seed, because we've never had a 10th seed before in the playoffs because they expanded this year. Um, But even winning three on the road in, in the old system would have been very, very difficult. But you know, four games away from home and three of them were shutouts. Let's not forget. Of course they shut out Londonderry in the second half, which I thought was the key to Saturday's victory. You know, the offense certainly did its part, but you know, it was 14 to nothing Londonderry at halftime. And I, you know, even if they get a field goal, it might've been over. I felt like Bedford was really up against it and had no wiggle room.
1: I thought, I thought that once Bedford gave up their first points in the playoffs the kind of bubble would burst at that point and that the uh, Londonderry would roll in the second half. And that wasn't the story. I'm with you.
2: I mean, I, you know, I don't know if I would have said the Londonderry was going to roll, but I, I certainly didn't see Bedford coming back to win at halftime. You know, I felt like I could have written half of my story at halftime and that would have been a mistake. Clearly. I will say a kid who goes under the radar this year or has gone under the radar is bedford's quarterback danny black uh you know he came in you know first year starter and there's a lot of good quarterbacks out there who get mentioned he seems to get left out of the conversation but you know he just gets the job done and certainly uh you know he was as as clutch as anybody on saturday and and meant as much to that comeback as any player on that bedford roster he you know, going up against a great defense, and um, you know, particularly that last drive, they went what 80, 80 yards, roughly in a couple minutes. So, uh, you know, just shout out to him; he, he was he was terrific in on the, the big stage for sure.
1: Roger, I thought good coaching by both Zach Matthews for Bedford and Jimmy Lozon for Londonderry. Uh, I thought Bedford, though, um, did a great job in containing. Drew Heenan.
2: Yeah, they really did. You know, again, like I just felt like Londonderry. Just I don't want to bring back m- bad memories, but I, I feel like Londonderry had to do what Exeter had to do against in that Timberlane playoff game, which was just make one more play, not even necessarily a scoring play, but just a you know a catch for a first down or work to work the clock in some manner. Um, but Bedford just shut them down. You know, didn't give them uh, any room. Uh, I know coach Lozon after the game was, was beating himself up. He felt he was a little too conservative, but when you got a kid like Drew Heenan, you know, you keep the ball in his hands. He was effective in the first half running it. Um, so I, you know, I, I think it's unnecessary criticism of himself. Uh, I just think that, you know, that Bedford defense came as advertised and they, they, you know, Londoner got the best of them in the first half, but you know, they, they poked the bear, so to speak. And, and, uh, that looked like the best defense in the state in the second half, for sure.
1: You scratch your head a little bit about what if, certainly on the Londonderry side, what if Bedford, when it's 14-6, to six, Bedford goes down and scores to make it 14-12. What if Bedford makes that two-point conversion and it's 14-14? You don't get that last drive, um, You know whether or not there'd be a field goal or that type of situation. What if it went to overtime? Who would have been the better team? but uh, certainly the chips fell right in place for Bedford, but they executed, they did a great job and uh, hats off to those kids. Yeah,
2: absolutely. You know, Bedford took it. And uh, you know, one thing I will say, and it wasn't, you know, I don't think it was like as bad as it may sound, but the penalties on Londonderry really cost them. Um, And there was a, there was one play, I think they got a personal foul on that last drive you know without it was a
1: late hit out of bounds yeah
2: without the without the foul i believe you can correct me if i'm wrong Sam, but i think it would have been like a 4th and 6 maybe
1: right so who knows yep.
2: you know that's yep. what i mean by one play if rundery could have just made that one extra play um game's over you know and um uh, that two point conversion by the way uh got to give credit to the official down there i think it was rich Driscoll because he was in perfect position and it was about as close as you can get uh right I forget. Was it was it Dom? Was it Tagliferro who caught that one? It
1: was. so It was a pass play, and Londonderry just converged right on him and knocked him out of bounds at the half yard. Yeah, yeah, it
2: was right there. You know, the ball was right in front. I think it was a good call. Um, but it was about as close as you can get without getting the ball in, too. So, you know, good job by everybody on that play, really. I mean, Bedford executed. The official did his job. Londonderry came up and played defensively. But you're right. Who knows what happens if that's a, you know, Maybe Londonary opens it up if it's 14-14 and, you know, we have a different ending. You just never know.
0: Before we wrap up on, on the NHIA schoolboy stuff, I just want to ask you a couple of quickies. First off, uh, uh, standout performers uh, from the teams that, that uh, you know, were champions this year. Um, we were discussing, obviously, the bedford Londoner game. What about some of the other uh, divisions?
2: Well, Summersworth won it. You know, Calvin Lambert was the best player in that division. Uh, running back, the coach's son, Jeremy, he was player of the year. Uh, so he was certainly, you know, uh, a a fun guy to watch and one of many good players, but the best player on that Summersworth team. And then, uh, Campbell won in division three. I think it's, uh, one of the Hirschbergers. I think it's Scott. He's a sophomore. They run this single wing offense where they just snap into the guy who runs the ball. And he was literally getting 40 carries a game. And I, he was just short of the, uh, the NHIA single season rushing record this wow. year. You know, he had like 2,300 yards um, and then Pelham was just loaded the whole, you know, there's too many players to name. They, they truly were uh, just solid across the board. Um, so we'd be naming their entire, you know, offense and defense really, you know, but 30 game winning streak, you know, you don't get that done without a strong program and,
0: Depth. As far as Division One is concerned for the NHIAA, do you see it becoming a balanced division next year or is it still going to be like we have this year?
2: Good question, Sherm. I do know that there is a Division II team, uh, Guilford Belmont, that's a co-op right now. And I believe the co-op is over and they're not renewing it. So if they stick by their, their enrollment rules, Guilford will have to drop down to Division Three next season. So I believe that leaves 17 teams in Division Two, and 21 in Division One. So common sense says you solve two problems by moving one team down. So, of course, that's what you, you me, and Sam would do. But whether or not the NHIA does it to be determined, um, I certainly hope they do. You know, they did the best they could with this situation this year, for sure. I don't think we could have come up with a better system. And there were some good things about it, no question but you really need a balanced schedule, you know, like when you don't play the same teams, even the seedings are come out a little awkward. Like there's no real way Bedford was the 10th best team in the division one. Right. So I think it, I think it would be best if they went back to 20 and uh, had balanced schedules, but we'll see what they do.
0: Well, I was fortunate enough to be in Durham for what turned out to be a real heavyweight fight. I mean, going into that game, the Wildcats knew they were going to have their hands full with the Fordham Rams. Um, the, a lot of points were going to be scored, and hopefully the Wildcats would be the one on top. And it turned out 52-42 in favor of the Wildcats. What a contest.
1: Was it great offense or poor defense?
0: The The defense for the Wildcats made the difference, and I'll tell you why, because... I I got the breakout of, of how it went in the first quarter. I think that's where we set the, 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 the pace. Um, then we gave it up to, to Fordham and they coughed it up. And it was the defense that, that came up with the, with the strip of their running back. And then we capitalized scored on that one. So it's seven, nothing. Then we did it again. And that was, uh, Dylan Wallaby, he was uh, he was the big gun there, no doubt about it. Rushed twenty nine times, one hundred fifty seven yards, three TDs, and caught four passes for one hundred twenty seven yards and a touchdown. <laughs> and and uh, you know he just he was just awesome in that game. And and again, we had a fourteen nothing lead when Fordham finally came back and, and made a fourteen seven. But we were always we never we never never gave up the lead. That was that was the most important part of of that contest. And I think that's the the momentum. If it had shifted. Bad things probably would have happened, but uh, Coach Santos had the guys fired up and ready to rock and roll. And uh, so, to answer your question, I'd say it was a combined effort. You, Josiah Silver had a big game. Uh, Joe Eichmann, Nico Kavikis. I mean, I'm reading off the the stat lines here, and and everybody had a say in that game on the on the offense and defense. And uh, Bill and Lobby, obviously, though the, the the big gun in that game. And Roger, you talked with the coach. Now we know. We advance into the next round against Holy Cross, and that'll be coming up this weekend. Uh, Holy Cross, let's see, I'm just looking at the stat sheet that our friend Doug Poole sends out. Uh, They met more than 100 years ago, UNH and Holy Cross, Crusaders, were the 13 to nothing victor back in 1909, October 2nd to be exact. Uh, This uh, Saturday's game will be uh, the second round game at Fitton Field, just the 18th meeting overall, the 7th in the this era the 2000s era so all time the series is 9-8 in favor of the wildcats holy cross has a 6-3 edge at home and that includes win in each of the past two games in worcester all right that being said what you went to the press conference with coach stantos what 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 was the vibe
2: well i mean that you know the vibe is good they they hey listen you, you can't ask for more out of this unh team this year right they're certainly playing to their potential. Um, and to be honest with you, Sherm, it's the same press conference week after week. It seems like they're playing just one of the best quarterbacks in the country, you know, here for for, for quite a stretch. And they have another one, another challenge this week. Uh, I think Matthew Sluker. And, you know, he's he's a kid who can he's Holy Cross's leading rusher. So he can run it, big kid. Uh, which has given UNH trouble in the past this, this season. Um, and, and he's also a very capable passer as well. So it starts there. Um, they're a little bit opposite of Fordham in that they, they're a run first team, you know, but they're certainly not, uh, you know, ground oriented only. Um, so he, you know, he talked about dealing with the quarterback and, uh Holy Cross is very very good on special teams. So we thought, you know, they'd have to be up to par there in that area this week. Certainly can't lose that battle. And then the other thing that Holy Cross is very good at is, is they just don't turn the ball over. They haven't fumbled lost a fumble all season. I think the quarterback has three had had three passes mm-hmm. intercepted. They're second in the country in turnover margin. So like I wrote for the Union Leader, it sounds overly simplistic to say turnovers can decide the game, but in this one, it seems to be, you know, certainly seems to be the case. They need to, you know, get one more than, than Holy Cross, uh, or at least probably. And they've been very good in that area lately, so certainly not uh, a task that they can't handle. Uh, looking forward to a very good game.
0: Yeah, it was – were you surprised with the, the 94 points that were scored in that game Saturday?
2: I was surprised that a week ago – I wasn't feeling good about UNH because when Coach Santos left the press conference, he let us know off the record how banged up their defensive secondary was. And they were facing one of the most prolific offenses in FCS history. So, you know, they moved, what, a couple offensive guys to defense for that game. You know, Charles Briscoe being one of them, the wide receiver. So it was kind of hard to feel good going in, you know, about the defensive backfield in that game. Was I surprised about the points? No, because I knew they were going to have to score a ton to, to win. I figured anyway. So it really was the type of game that UNH needed to play to win. I think you know you weren't going to. I think they held Fordham down to about as one of the lowest you know offensive production uh, days that they've had all season. So um, it was kind of like the blueprint. You know, you'd like to win twenty-one to ten, but that didn't seem very likely. You know, they, that's the thing about this UNH team. They seem to kind of morph and do whatever they have to do to win a game, whether it's uh, just beat you on defense or outscore you or, or whatever, whatever need be, you know.
0: Oh well, Max Brosmer, uh, in that game, he was 18 for 34, and had a career-high 348 yards, three TDs. Wow. And and the one that everybody was talking about after the game, uh, first quarter. Okay, Fordham was down at the UNH 10. On the opening possession of the game, uh, Josiah Silver stripped the ball, and uh, Joe Eichmann was the one that recovered it. And uh, then, two plays: <laughs> Roseman found Lobby in the in the flat, and he just was racing down the sideline. And Brian Espinette—they high five each other as as Lobby is going into the end zone. That that made all the highlight reels.
1: It did. I'll just just chime in with just a couple of things that I have on Saturday's game. Number one, I'll piggyback with what Roger was talking about, about the turnover situation. If the weather report comes through and it's a rainy day on Saturday, then that's going to slow things down. Uh, And that will be an advantage to UNH, I think, uh, with Holy Cross's offense. And the other question that I have about Holy Cross is, are they for real? They're 11-0, great. They're one of two teams that's undefeated in the FCS playoffs. But only four of their wins have come against teams that have above a 500 record. So, is this an eighth seed because of their undefeated team, or is it an eighth seed because they're that good, an 11 and 0 team? Yeah,
2: good, good point, Sam. Um, I just have, and I and I think a lot of people are saying that about the Patriot League in general. You know, usually that's a team that. Or or league that their their top team is a notch below what the CAA offers, but I just have a ton of respect for their head coach. I think he's he'll be on the move soon, at a big time school. Um, he's rebuilt programs at other levels. A lot of Exeter High kids have played for him at the Division three level at Salve Regina and at the Division two level at Assumption. Um. So I just have, you know, I, I don't know him real well, but he, he's he's a rising coach. And I think their talent level is probably a little bit better than, quote-unquote, a typical Patriot League champion. And, um, you know, they do have a victory over an FCS program this year – or an FBS program, sorry. Um, so that's a long-winded way of saying I don't know. <laughs> you know, you could, you could make – you got a good point about they, they, they haven't played the toughest schedule, but they have beaten some good teams. And and I do think their roster is is, uh, is equal or, or better talent-wise of a lot of teams that are in the playoffs. So that's why they play the game. We'll find out, right?
0: If you compare Max Brosmer, who's having a super year for the Wildcats against uh, the quarterback for Holy Cross, Matt Sluka, Um Give me some vibe there. I mean, Sluka—he's uh, going to be slinging the ball just like Maxwell. Yeah,
2: he's got—I think it's 25 TD passes and only three interceptions, but he's almost a thousand-yard rusher. So he's really the focal point of the offense. You know, if he's not throwing it, he's going to be running it too. So he—he's the guy, and he's not like the Fordham quarterback just standing there back there throwing it all over the place. As we know, it was at NC Central. Really, their quarterback tore up UNH on the ground. You know, so. Mobile quarterbacks have given you an age problems this season, so that would be my concern. I think chief concern going into this game: can they limit what he can do on the ground? And you know, there. we should mention, like we talking before we went on the show, they they do have three uh, New Hampshire kids on their roster. One of them being uh, Winnicott's Jordan Fuller is their number. I think they're number two uh, rusher, at least among running backs. Big kid, fullback type, you know. So um, they should – I think he's got 22 touchdown uh, touchdown runs in 23 career games. So certainly he's a factor as well. Got to watch.
0: Well, it's going to be interesting to see who uh, who wants to get to Frisco, Texas the most.
2: And What will be interesting, Sherm, to me, is if they win, being win, uh, and Delaware finds a way to win their game,
0: Wildcats might find themselves at home. Well, two-minute drill time, sir. Uh, Sam, why don't you kick it off?
1: I have a couple of things for the two-minute drill. Uh, One is uh, I enjoy college basketball tremendously, and uh, I think it's a really exciting sport to watch. Uh, It's a lot of fun and a lot of enthusiasm. But some of these tournaments uh, from the Cayman Islands and uh, from some of the places that go on uh, are unbelievable. Uh, I think, uh, uh, certainly these teams are getting paid for a nice vacation in the sun, but the quality of the play and what's going on is certainly not very good. Uh, it's going to be nice when they start getting to their conference play in a couple of weeks. And, uh, those teams, uh, are going to look good. Um, I do like kind of the setup that they have early on here, that they have the, uh, the ACC against, uh against the big 10 uh, and they match up those teams early on. And, and that's a lot of a nice rivalry and things looking good, but uh, enjoy college basketball, but uh, let's get to those conference schedules when those games really get going for my two minute drill. It's about the college football playoffs. We're getting ready for the get to find out who are those final four. And my goodness, all these weeks of who's who's in and who's out. And, and it's so tight between four and five and six and who beats who. And I really think, you know, I'm just so happy to hear that the NCAA is going to go to a 12-team tournament field in 2024. We have to live with this for one more year. But in 2024, we'll go to a real playoff of 12 teams. So, you know, let's... Let's not find out and figure out ways how Alabama can get into the top four. Let's just keep trying to figure out, you know, what are going to be the best competitive games in those semifinal and final games and um, pick the teams that would make the best matchups. Uh, go horn <laughs> A
0: little bias there, huh?
1: <laughs> oh, no, no, not at all. Not at all.
0: And what about you, Roger, for a two-minute drill?
2: Well, I'll piggyback off Sam for a minute. I, I I agree. I'm looking forward to the twelve team format. I just wish that they would play games at home sites. Um I don't want these sterile giant buildings where there's I mean, that's one of the best things about college football is the atmosphere in every particular uh at, at every particular school. And I don't mind if, you know, maybe the semis in the final, you want to go to a neutral site, okay. But you know, I I just like to see most of the games played at you know college sites, but um, well, I'd be interested to hear what you guys every every I have to say about this. Every year, I go on my soapbox. Um, you know, back in the '30s when I played high school football, we had uh, one all-state team. You know, there was one all-state quarterback, and it was really meaningful. It was really done up big by the media, and these days. I, I don't even think we need to do All-State teams anymore. They're just so watered down. I received the Division 4 All-State team the other day for football, eight teams. There were 77 players on the All-State team. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 17 linebackers,
1: four, four quarterbacks,
2: half of the division were All-State quarterbacks. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, I mean,
1: <laughs> everybody, everybody gets a medal. Yeah. And,
2: and yeah. I, I don't understand why they think that's good because it's, I mean, if there was, you know, 30 kids on it, I would still be arguing against it. But when you have 77 and you're not one of them, you're almost like singling kids out who don't make it like saying, you're no good, you know, and I'm not even joking about that. Um, we've got to get back to something meaningful. You know, if you want to do one team and maybe I I would cut it there myself, but uh, you know, per division, but if you want to do like, you know, one team and honorable mention maybe or something like that, but we got to put some juice back in this thing. Um, And I know I'm not the only one who feels this way because I get a lot of feedback about this, but we're just every year, it seems to be getting worse and worse. So I'd just like to see each division, you know, one all-state quarterback. It would really be meaningful, and uh, I think it would be healthy for the sport.
0: There you go. I agree with you totally. I assume you do too, Sam? Huh?
1: Oh, sure. I think. Uh, I think you know. I I I think people. You know, whoever's making the select. Who's making the selections now, Roger? Each coach.
2: Yeah, the coaches get together in each division, so all the division one coaches will get together. <clears throat> And it's not like, like, let's say Sam's team has a great quarterback and Roger's team has a great quarterback. It's not like Sam and Roger have to haggle over who gets it because they all vote. Right. So we're going to say, right. you know, we're going to put our two quarterbacks up there and the rest of the uh, the state's coaches in that division are going to determine who was the better player. So I, I don't see why it's so hard to do this, you know, Um you fight for your guy and then you vote and then, you know, the chips fall where they may. And uh, you know, that's, that's the way it goes. I just think if you're going to do a statewide award, you know, just make it, make it worthy of something. You know what I mean? I don't want to be one of 17 linebackers. I'd like to be one of four. That's how many there are. You know, it's an all state team, right? 11 players on each side, maybe some special teams guys. And uh, you know, it would just be, it would just be a lot more recognition and a lot more meaningful. And uh, if you finish as the runner up, that doesn't mean you're a bad player. You know, it's just, that's life, right? You know, there's only can only be one in some situations. So, and I, I just a quick shout out. I know you, I think you mentioned the term at the banquet, but uh, being involved as a parent, uh, just what a great job those booster members do at Exeter high for that football program. Um above and beyond. And, uh, I'm sure there's others out there that, that are equally as good, but, you know, seeing it from the inside and, and what they do in terms of just feeding the kids to what, just all kinds of stuff, really a special group, hardworking group. They deserve endless thank yous. And, uh, you know, what they do is they make it extra special for the kids and and that's really what it's all about. So.
0: I agree. And, and uh, my two minute drill, I just wanted to uh, mention a couple of things quickly. Thank you to our friends at Bedford TV for providing us coverage of the championship game. Um, And congratulations to those Bedford Bulldogs. I mean, that was, that was quite a coup coming from 10th spot and and taking the title. And, uh, and then as far as the UNH Wildcats are concerned, it continues. And uh, we hope it goes all the way to Frisco, Texas. That'll be on January the eighth. So uh, it's going to be a lot of good football for the call on the college ranks uh, heading into the new year. And as far as sports, well, now we can wrap the schoolboy and schoolgirl fall sports up. Now it's on to winter sports. So I was just talking to uh, Coach D. Marino at the high school the other day. The tryouts for hockey are on basketball tryouts they're going to be wrapping those up and, and picking teams and then sam the the schedule starts when for
1: your your first game Sherm, will be boys basketball on december the 13th tuesday december 13th londonderry will be at exeter high for boys basketball and the girls will open up their home schedule on december friday december 16th
0: should be fun should be a lot of fun coming up for uh the winter sports teams, and we'll be looking forward to covering them. All right, that's it for uh, Sam Bruno and our friend Roger Brown from the Union Leader and New Hampshire com. This is Sherm Chester inviting you to join us for the next edition of the Seaco Sports Forum.